0: Welcome to the Multifamily by The Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had another great episode for you with Sean DeMartel, one third of Pac-3 Capital. I mean, he came by and dropped a ton, a ton of knowledge. This is one of those episodes where, you know, we started recording and I blinked my eyes, looked at the clock, and we were about forty minutes in, and it felt like it was only a few seconds because of because of how much information was in there, and I could barely keep up. We talked about you know short term rentals as well as multifamily. We just went across
1: the board. It was it was a great episode. What do you think, Andre? Likewise, man. Sean uh, started up talking about short term rentals. We talked about the regulations, in San Diego regulations across different markets, how to use short term rentals to scale particularly with a twist with multifamily. Then we shifted and talking about getting into multifamily, the risks that you have to take, the advice and the perspective that you need to have in order to be successful in multifamily real estate. We talked extensively about raising capital and the misconceptions behind it. And then we ended with Don going all over the board, just dropping knowledge bombs of networking and how to effectively network as well and put yourself out there. So this is a great episode, folks you're going to get a lot from this. So I would definitely encourage you to listen to it a couple of times and have a sticky note or a notepad next to you and write out and then go implement these strategies. And of course, if you've got any questions and you're interested in learning more about multifamily, please free to reach out to myself or Ike. Let's get into it.
0: Sean is a third of Pack 3 Capital, a third of the Multifamily Takeoff, which, you know, they host the meetup which I, I hope we're all going to tonight, which it's tonight. So I hope we're all going. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there as well. So there you <laughs> go. And they also have a podcast, Multifamily Takeoff podcast, that was my for- my first foray into learning about the multifamily space. So these guys, I've always seen them as a mentor, as friends, and I'm excited to have uh, Sean on the show. How about you? How you doing, man? I'm
1: doing amazing, man. The gloom of San Diego is ending. The sun is coming out for our second day. And uh, we've got a long... Martin Luther King weekend approaching us. So I will be using this weekend to work out and do some more things related to the business, write some articles, work on some of the books that we got coming out of 2022. And it should be a, a great, you know, springboard into the year.
2: Dre needs the sun, man. It uh, he thrives in it, man. It it it, 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 it yeah, man. It, it shows off the physique a little bit more. He gets to go out in lighter clothing. I mean, he gets to, It's putting a smile on his face. He thrives. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, Ike, you want to introduce our guest for us today, please?
0: I will. I will. So we have Sean DeMartel, and he's a managing partner of Pac3 Capital, which is a real estate syndication firm specializing in apartments and short-term rental acquisitions and operations. Sean formed Pac3 Capital just two years ago with his two partners. And since then, they have acquired assets in multiple states in the Midwest and Southeast, Sean and Pac-3 Capital currently have over $28 million in assets under management spread across, across 327 units. Sean is a huge proponent of mentorships, partnerships, and taking risks to get started in real estate investing. So with that said, Sean, fill us in on what I didn't just tell the audience about yourself.
2: Wow. Well, thank you uh, for the intro, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. I think you gave a good top-down summary uh, on the short version of Mister Shandy Martel. But um, yeah, you know, obviously, my focus has been on multifamily for a long time. For well, at least for a couple of years now, and myself, Mike, and Rich have really hit the ground running. I mean, our first, my first ever investment was that 32 unit that we bought. So I obviously dove headfirst into the multifamily space. But since then, we've you know done two large syndications that you alluded to. Um, we're also doing our foray into the short-term rental space, which we intend on bringing opportunities to investors for here in the new, very near future. So a little preview of that. I mean, that sums it up, man. I'm, I'm ready to get into the weeds on whatever you guys are ready to get into. But hopefully, I can provide some value to your listeners here and maybe even inspire them a little bit.
1: Yeah, let's do it. You, little just jump straight into the short-term rentals. You mentioned that being your new pivot point for the year. So, tell us more about why you're bullish on short-term rentals and why it's the new gold rush.
2: Yeah, so at Factory Capital, we obviously still believe in multifamily. I mean, mm-hmm. we're invested. In, I'm, I'm heavily invested in it. In all the deals syndications we did this year, I invested with alongside my investors. So, I still believe in it, but. Each and every day, more and more people have been getting into the multifamily space. There's been a gold rush getting into multifamily for the past 10 years. And so much money has been flocking to there because of everything that you love and I love about multifamily. I mean, the market dynamics are in favor of it. Uh, The the leverage terms you can get and, and the debt you can get is unlike any other debt. Rents have been going up across the country. I mean, the list goes on. But because of all of that, it's become so extremely popular that finding good deals that meets the returns for metrics for our investors that we're targeting is becoming harder and harder by the day. So you know we might have to underwrite over 200 deals to find 5 or 10 that we want to make an offer on. And then out of those, if we're lucky, one of them we might get. So the deals are out there. They're just becoming harder to find. But what we've learned is that in the short-term rental space, because we have been operating our own short-term rentals now for a couple of years. And these short-term rentals are getting you know three to five times more in rent than a traditional rental. I mean, exponentially more in rent. As an example, my duplex that I have here in San Diego, I'll gross anywhere from $18,000 a month on the low end to $29,000 in the month of July. Okay, so twenty nine thousand dollars on a duplex, a three bedroom in the front and a two bedroom in the back. That place maybe could get me six thousand dollars between the two of them, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less in gross rental income. So you're talking almost five X'ing that in the summertime with short term rentals. Um, Now, the trick here is, is we can, you know, I'm saying I'm calling this the new gold rush if you're able to navigate it properly, because of that extreme potential. The trick is, is how do you scale that, right? Because with multifamily, you could scale it. You can get a 300-unit apartment complex, and you can bring in 30, 40, 50 investors that can all get great returns if you find a good deal. So how do you then scale that for bringing in numerous investors, the same amount of investors, to then go and buy short-term rentals? Because you know, oftentimes, you're not going to be buying a 300-unit short-term rental. So that's a little bit of the trick there on finding, you know, structuring that properly. But I think that there's a lot of room there. There's still a lot of potential for people to start scaling the short-term rental side of real estate. Interesting. Interesting. And honestly,
0: I I don't know about you, Dre, but I've been hearing a lot about the short-term rental space, especially in, you know, vacation-centric markets such as San Diego and, you know, a Scottsdale or, you know, some of the areas around campgrounds and things like Julian and those areas. Yeah. And so I've been, I've been hearing a lot, you know, about short-term rentals and the advantages of, of having them. But since we have you as someone that's, you know, been managing short-term rentals for a good amount of time now and are, are looking to expand that, to include investors, I'd actually like to hear a little bit about some of the risks that are in play. You mentioned scale as one of the the hurdles in short-term rentals. What else can be, you know, an issue to look out for if someone is interested in getting to the short-term rental space?
2: Yeah, the absolute number one risk, without hesitation, is regulations. There's no question that is the risk right there. You can talk about other minor risks, like risks of, you know, a guest guest messing up your property or having a party, things like that. Those are all minor, though. All of those you can clean up and get past in a quick second, no big deal. The risk is shutting down your operation or uh, you know, losing your rapport with a major platform because you're entirely reliant on a platform like Airbnb or VRBO. So really there's two things that can completely shut down your business. One is local regulation, which across the country, you're seeing them implement a lot of regulations. San Diego, California has been a free-for-all for a while, but starting in later this year, potentially it might push it back to you know next year. They're implementing new regulations to restrict the number of Airbnb properties. And that's happening every most in most major metros. Yep. So the trick is, is to either know how to navigate those laws and get a permit, follow the rules and get your permit, which if you can do that, And uh, you'll actually have a a competitive advantage potentially because there's fewer Airbnbs, a little bit less competition, and that allows you to keep your rates high. Or you can find strategic markets that aren't these major metros where it's really welcomed by the community because it's bringing them so much business. You know, traditional places. uh, You know, people on the West Coast will be familiar with like a Joshua tree. That's a market that's 100% dependent on tourism. There is nothing else there. So. Like right outside national parks is almost always a great place. Gatlinburg has been one of those traditional places right outside the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, where for decades it's been all short-term rentals, and people go there, uh, vacation there from major cities surrounding it. So things like that are are really that's the biggest risk of regulations, and you need to know your regulations if you're interested in doing it and navigate it properly. And the other risk is getting banned from a platform. So Airbnb has come under fire for the number one thing they've come under fire for is really angry neighbors and unruly guests. Neighbors that get angry because you're not managing your property properly and allowing people to go throw parties there, have too many people over that are being allowed in the backyard. And Airbnbs by their very nature are usually in residential neighborhoods, people that own these homes, that have families and kids. And if your house next door is constantly having rowdy people that are renting in and out, renting that place, that angers neighbors, and what a lot of municipalities will do is, if you have, you know, it's usually like a two or a three strike rule. So if you get like a couple of complaints from neighbors, official complaints to the city, they'll shut you down off the platform. So that's another big risk. You've got to manage your your rental properly. Otherwise, if they remove you from Airbnb, what are you going to do? What are you going to start your own platform? You know, you, you have VRBO left over, so. That's a risk with you know short-term rentals. It's, you're 100% reliant on them. Whereas if you've got a long-term rental, you know that's your business. You can find people multiple different ways. You could stick a sign in your yard, it's available for rent, but not with Airbnb.
1: Yeah, you so. brought up a, a couple of good points that I wanted to address. The first one, you, we talked about regulation. And as you know, we're already in the heat of that within the city of San Diego, but they actually passed, a lot of the updates on the website and the PDF pamphlets this week on mm-hmm. updated San Diego regulations. And one of them that really stood out to me was the different tiers, like tiers yep. one through four, tiers three and four being more for investment properties. And as you know, Mission Beach has always been ran as like a bed and breakfast mm-hmm. even before Airbnb came out. So they have a little bit set of more flexible rules, but that owner-occupied piece. And that's the other benefit and beauty of being a multifamily operator is that essentially- the new rules are saying that if you pretty much have a standalone home, it's going to be very hard for you to operate as a short-term rental in San Diego come this upcoming summer. But if you have a duplex, triplex, fourplex, or larger, and you can claim like an owner-occupy and you live in one of the units, you pretty much have the flexibility to do it by the unit. So that's that was one thing that, that stood out to me. And again, just talking about the beauty of multifamily. And the other thing you mentioned, Sean, was about scalability right? How do I scale a short-term rental operation? And there is a unique way to still even combine that with multifamily. Mm-hmm. You've got the burn and B model, which we all know is but Burr is the buy, is it rehab? Yeah, rehab, rehab. Yeah. refinance, rent, repeat, right? Mm-hmm. But then Bur and B is doing that same thing, but doing hotel, motel conversions, and then turning those units into multifamily, short-term rentals by the unit you can still take that same scalability, but now you're doing about a unit. You're 2X, 3X, xing your NOI income. And then the other thing is just taking a regular multifamily property and just doing short-term rentals. That's another way to scale quickly, faster, without trying to buy a bunch of single-family homes and do it that way.
2: Yep. I agree. I think that you know, there's a couple of things. Like one, there's, you could do the fund method, which is something that Pacto Capital is exploring. You can actually raise a lot of capital in a fund. And then that fund will then go, per, could purchase a lot of, you know, maybe luxury single family rentals. You get three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 of those that could be bringing in the, the equivalent income of a 50 unit or greater in multifamily. And you know, the investors are able to then be diversified, you know, in multiple properties, potentially in multiple different markets that are all short-term rentals. That's a way that you could do it. But I like what you brought up about converting potentially old motels or hotels that are mom and pop ran. Um, I actually know of a guy that does that very thing and has done it multiple times up in Tahoe right around Lake Tahoe, they've taken these like old motels, renovated them, make them really nice, Mm -hmm. and then added really cool amenities that people expect with an Airbnb. They've added hot tubs on the property, different like outdoor activities. I think there's horseshoes, things like that, right? But what I've seen a a bunch of people that are innovating in the space. And this is where I think there's a lot of room for growth and innovation in these short-term rentals, because in most municipalities... If you're zoned as like a commercial zoning, typically you could do whatever you want. If it's zoned, like if you've got a commercial lot that's free to be ready for you to build on, you can build this unique little community of Airbnbs. And people are doing that. I've seen really cool examples of people that for example, have a commercial lot and they actually built a bunch of tiny homes on them that are all super unique and have their own little mini hot tub attached to it in, the, in their little backyard. And it's an Airbnb community. Mm -hmm. And I really think that the future of travel is going to be things like that. Like the millennial generation is not going to be staying at holiday inns as they get older. I mean, think about it. I never am looking at something like that when I travel. No way. And I really think that the people that innovate and find ways to do things like that and scale will crush it over the next 20 years.
0: Yeah. I I mean, even just me personally, whenever, whenever I'm traveling, I'm either looking for you know, four or five star hotels so I can ball out, have a good time, or I'm looking for an Airbnb for, you know, either a a few couples or like a boys trip or something like that. You don't really go in between. So I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree on that. Um, So another question, I know we want to move on to multifamily, but another question on the, on the short-term rental space, what is the financing market like for it? Are they, you know, accounting for the increase in, you know, effectively rents? Are, are they using those those revenues to underwrite? Are they underwriting it just like a normal investment? Like How does the finance community look at it? Is it changing? How, how are things going on that side?
2: So the good news is it has been changing. And there's a lot of financers out there that are hopping on board to provide unique financing. Now, you're not going to get outside of like doing your own personal SFR houses that are going to be like a traditional investment property loan or something like that. If you're going to like get like, let's say you're going to get like a multifamily and try and convert that most commercial lenders will will still lend on it. They'll lend on it just like a a hotel. A good friend of mine, David Acosta here in San Diego, he bought a, what was a hotel and converted it into all Airbnb units. And in that case, they just underwrite it just the exact same they would a hotel. Now, as far as like trying to grow a portfolio of Airbnbs, I mean, it used to be a lot trickier, but now there are lenders. Like, there's one uh, off the top of my head called Host Financial. You can go to hostfinancial.com. They're a specific Airbnb slash short-term rental lender, and so there's multiple ones like them now. And so you can get lending on a property that's going to be an Airbnb. And this will be a commercial style loan. So they don't take into account your debt to income ratio, which is good. And they take into account the potential revenue of the property. So what they do is they plug in the property's address and all this, the, you know, how many bedrooms and bathrooms and how many people can sleep into AirDNA. And they take that projected revenue. And as long as it meets a 1.0 DSCR, debt service coverage ratio, basically as long as it can just make the debt payment, they don't care about anything else. If it can make the debt payment, they'll lend on it. What they can also do is if you have 12, if it was already operated as an Airbnb by the previous owner, and you have 12 months of data to show the income, they will also go off of that if you prefer that. So the only negative to like that debt is that it is gonna be a higher interest rate. You'll see anything from four to 6%. And which, you know, if you're talking Airbnbs is really negligible anyways, in my opinion. And it is also recourse debt whenever you're talking about those loans which is a huge negative compared to like a multifamily agency debt, but it is recourse debt. And yeah, I mean, that's really the options available now, like traditional banks. If you want to go say, Hey, I want to buy this property to be an Airbnb. They're not going to lend on it. You know, you can't go to chase and, and get lending for a specific Airbnb property. Makes sense. And you know, the fact that
0: traditional lenders aren't lending on it is not something I think most people would be surprised about because, it's a it's a brand new industry. It's, it's the wild wild west. Yeah. You know, the so income's not guaranteed
2: like a lease. You
0: know, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and those large banks are looking for you know very boring investments that they can guarantee are coming in. So yep, you know. All right, switching gears to the multifamily space. Let's let's talk a bit about some of the properties that you have in your guys's portfolio at Pack Three. And we briefly discussed your first investment that you guys are looking to to you know exit out of and, and move on to other things. But let's talk about some of your investments out in the southeast and and how those came to be.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> the two most recent acquisitions, the two big ones that we got were this past in 2021. Both of them, we got one in the spring and one in late summer. So we got 145 unit, 150 unit. Both of those are in Greensboro, North Carolina, and they were both syndications that we did alongside our mentors. Our mentors, shout out to them, John and Tony Azar of uh, Mac Venture Partners. They've been mentoring us for two years now. And these we, we just had this the The perfect situation kind of fall on our lap to where they were willing to co-GP the deal with us to go through. these were our first syndications. And uh, since we were going through that whole syndication process for the very first time, we wanted to ensure that our investors we could provide them with the best experience possible and you know make sure that their money is as safe as possible with a team that's established, has had over eight thousand units, knows what the hell they're doing, have never lost money on a deal, and've always crushed it for their investors. And so this is, you know, twofold. It's great for our investors, for for them to be alongside us in this deal. And it's also great for Pack3 Capital because I mean, we're step-by-step under the wing of our mentors still through this process, which I think is crucial because it's a very complicated process. There's a lot involved in it and a lot of money being exchanged. So we're very fortunate to have outstanding mentors, but those properties are traditional value-add properties. One of them is a 1978 vintage, another one's a 1980. I think 86 vintage and both of those properties have been going extremely well for investors. I mean, right out the gate, we were crushing it. You know, we closed like basically in the middle of 2021 and right after we closed, we started renovating units. We had projected $100 rent bumps on one of them. And I think $75 on the other, we're getting $300 rent bumps, wow. uh, renovated units. So outstanding growth on those properties. Uh, they're performing extremely well. And, uh, you know, we, we did a couple other value add plays uh, to the deals that are still in, in, in the works, but I think our investors are going to make out incredibly well. And I mean, the cap rates just continue compressing. Those markets over there in the Southeast continue growing. So I'm really confident that our investors are going to, we're going to blow their expectations out of the water, knock on wood.
1: There's some good insights about, you know, getting into the multifamily space and in, in the Greensboro market. But I know one of the other concepts that we really don't talk a lot about is just the raising capital piece. As you know, yes. doing large syndication deals that big, the significant bulk of it is raising capital. So tell us about just your slices of wisdom, Experience. raising capital yeah. and misconceptions in the in the raising capital game.
2: I'm happy to talk about that because I think that does need to get talked about a little bit more. Um, I think one of the common misconceptions I want to bring up too, because so many of us, we listen to these podcasts, you know, we listen to the bigger pockets guys. We you might listen to the Michael Blancs or whoever, and you hear mm-hmm. so much success. I mean, you just hear these people out there crushing it. You hear, oh yeah, they got a thousand units in their first year or whatever, and they're raising all this money. And I think that at least with me, I had a lot of what was in my head was um. Like that movie, um, Build of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. I think a lot of people get into this industry thinking like, you know, if I find a great deal, the money's going to come. And that is, a, for the most part, that is a good mindset to have and to keep focused on that, that you have a great deal. And there's a lot of money out there waiting to place the money in, in good deals. But it's a, a little bit harder than you think to go and raise $4 million for a deal especially when you're a little bit newer in the game, you're going to get asked so many difficult questions. They're going to really drill you on your personal experience. And you're going to hopefully have an experienced team with you on a deal, maybe a mentor or somebody that you, who you can lean on for that and highlight their experience. But you know, it's crazy because if you're going to do a syndication, you're getting the property under contract first, and you're putting up your earnest money, your money up on the, on the table, and then you're going and raising the capital. You got to remember that. So the clock's ticking, your closing date's coming, and you've got to go present your opportunity to investors and they've got to like the deal and commit their capital. And you're also trying to balance, you know, presenting a deal where you've got a timeline you got to hit to close and not trying to pressure the investors either. Right. Um, And you'll find that, uh, you know, I learned that some of the investors that I was Felt hundred percent positive. Like I know this person's going to invest, you know, X amount of dollars because they keep telling me, you know, hey man, let me know when this deal. Is. They they basically bugged me about when the deal is going to come. They seem super excited, and then when push came to shove, they went radio silent. And that will happen to you, I promise. And you'll be you might be a little bit frustrated because sometimes that'll be a big dog. You know, you might have a big dog that was telling you they're going to come in with an X amount of dollars, but a lot of people are all talk. And when it comes time to actually invest their money, a lot of people get a little worried about it or scared, and they don't invest their money. So you got to expect that and be ready for it. And if you think you can raise four million dollars, you better be. You, if you need to raise four million dollars, you better be comfortable raising eight, because a lot of people are going to back out on you. So you got to be ready for that. If you think you can scrape together four million and your raise is four million, you're in trouble. So I think that's a misconception people got to understand. It. And, and I, I want to be real with people because I think too many people, you know, paint this beautiful picture of raising capital. Like if you got a great deal, it's going to be easy, man. You just got to go out there and people are just going to be jumping all over you to give you their money. That's not the case. I mean, we, we've been able to get it done and we have a lot of great investors that have invested with us, but you need to be busting your butt meeting people, doing everything you can to put yourself out there and build a network of investors at all times. The time to raise money is before you get a deal. Yep, because yeah. yes. when, when you get a deal, it, the clock's ticking, man. You, you know, <laughs> yes. and, and that closing date's coming whether or not you got the money.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you know, one thing, you, one thing you mentioned there, and it's something that you hear in this industry all the time, usually from people that haven't raised capital, is that if you build it, they will come. We all have heard that one. But the part that's left off the back end of that is when. Because if they don't come in the next 60 days before the end of your contract, it doesn't matter how much money they have. The deal's already gone. So that is is a paramount thing to understand when you're looking to actually go out and raise capital. Because like you said, you know, once that earnest money is down, it's gone if you don't perform. And you're under the gun and you don't necessarily want to portray that. Desperation to anybody raising capital from because right. even if even if it's a fantastic deal, the desperation is going to scare them away. You know, so exactly. you want to be able to explain to them, yes, we have a timeline, but I'm not looking to you're you're not my la- you're my, you're my last resort. You, mm-hmm. you want to have a lot of people you're talking to, a lot of people that understand what you're doing, and a lot of people that believe in your capability of seeing a deal through. So, like Absolutely. you said, you know, the time to raise for for a deal is when you don't have to.
2: Like from the you right now, if you think like, I don't even know if I'm going to get a deal in 2022, you should be out there, you know, meeting new investors, building up a, a, you know, telling them that you could have a deal here soon, do whatever you can to build up that list because you you don't want to like, you don't want to wait till the last minute.
0: And honestly, you know, they always say, brokers in a specific market will start reaching out to you once they see that you've closed the deal same thing for investors the best yeah. time to start raising for your next deal is right after you closed one because people see okay this person actually performed mm-hmm. people actually have confidence that he's able to or he or she's able to you know see a deal through let me actually get on their their mailing list and let me join their webinars because they seem
2: serious. The best time to do that is right after you've closed because it's fresh in everybody's mind. Absolutely. Another thing too, just as a reminder, before we move on to whatever is next to talk about, is if you plan to raise capital, listen to these podcasts, read as much as you can, eat, sleep, and breathe multifamily, and then you need to go and practice like difficult questions. Talk to investors, talk to somebody that's done this before because investors are going to ask you some tough questions and you need to be able to expl- to be ready to answer their question at, at a moment's notice with a great answer. And you got to make sure you understand it super clearly. And you can explain it in a way that doesn't confuse them. Because a confused mind doesn't act. If the investor doesn't understand your waterfall structure, if they don't understand the metrics that you're trying to explain to them for the returns, and you can't explain it in a good way, that's not going to work either. Luckily, I had some mentors that taught me that from the get-go. And and I practice answering those questions over and over again. So that definitely helps me. But I definitely... you know, If Pretend I'm your mentor right now. Study that kind of stuff. Practice people out answering, asking you difficult questions because they're going to put you on the spot. And if you're trying to raise 100 grand from somebody, better be damn sure know how to answer that question right then and there.
1: Yes, that's great. So, question for you, Sean. And we talked a lot about just tactics for newbies and whatnot. But what other, speaking of newbies, what risks do newbies take trying to get into real estate? And how is that important? Because obviously, I think that's important, too, that we should adjust, especially for someone like you. You already have a seasoned, established track record. So if you had some some kid walk up to you today and be like, hey, Sean, I mean, I hear you talking about this real estate game. I hear you talking about short-term rentals. I hear you talking about raising mm-hmm. capital. But how, how should I take risks? How should I get
2: into this, this industry? I would say do whatever you can to get a deal, like not get a bad deal but do whatever it takes. Sometimes I've talked to people that want to get into it and they'll say, well, I only have X amount of dollars. And I'd say, well, do you have a retirement account, a 401k you've been saving in that you could draw from? And a lot of people are scared to do that. I liquidated my 401k to buy my first deal. Now it's difficult for me to sit here and tell you like everybody should go. I'm not saying everybody go out and liquidate your 401ks and buy a multifamily deal. I'm not saying that either. But typically, like even the people that don't have a lot of money, you have something either value that you can provide, or there's money somewhere that you can tap into to go and get in the game. So I'm a big proponent of, you know, if you own a home and you can get out something like a HELOC or refinance, find the money and take some risks to go and invest in real estate. And that's what I mean. And I think a lot of people just get too scared. They want to play it really safe and say, no, I'll save up for another two years. And then I'll have about X amount of dollars. And I think then... I can, you know, go and take down my first deal with somebody, but figure out a way, partner with people. Okay. And that could be in a monetary way or in a non-monetary way. Obsessively go to meetups and other places where investors are congregating and other people wanting to get in the game are congregating. I mean, I met uh, somebody that invested in my first deal with me, a couple people from my meetup. My partners, Mike and Rich, I met at work as their traffic controllers. Go and find other people that you can split roles with, split money-wise, and and just get in the game. And that's what I mean by taking risks. Sometimes that might mean risk in a debt form. That might mean risk in tapping into funds that you have lying around somewhere. Whatever it is, I think it's worth it in the long run. And I think a lot of people are just really averse to taking those kind of risks to, to jump in the game. And so I, I'm, I'm always like proponent to people to, to do it. There you go. Well, we're going to
1: move into the second part of the show. And obviously, we already talked about some of these things, but you can delve into something just in a tad bit more detail. So this is going to be the Legacy Round, Sean. It's going to be an open forum. You'll talk about your favorite acquisition that changed the process and the growth of Pack 3 Capital. You can give practical tips on how to grow a real estate portfolio or how to build your investor network.
2: I think for this one, I'd be happy to talk about my favorite deal, which is so far, which is our first deal, because just because I learned so much from that. Um, And I think that that could be a little bit of value. So do I just kind of free flow tell you about it? Is that how this
1: works? Free flow and tell us about it.
2: All right, here we go. So the 32 unit that uh, Pack 3 Capital, and this is before we were even Pack 3 Capital. This is me, Mike, and Rich getting this property with a couple other guys. And I think there were six of us in total in the beginning. This 32 unit that we're now closing on in two days uh, is uh, just outside of Indianapolis in an area called Greenwood, Indiana. And this property was a 1968 vintage, which I probably won't buy a property that old ever again. But uh, this property was, uh, if I could just sum it up in as few words as possible, it was basically ran by a slumlord type of situation. It, it was in very rough shape, but it was in a good neighborhood. I mean, you know, median household income was something like 58,000, which in that part of the country is great. Schools were all rated 9 and 10 out of 10. But the list goes on of, of great metrics, great little neighborhood. But it was the worst property in the best neighborhood. and. I mean, this was just a good one because I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. What not to do, don't go into a property a little bit underfunded, thinking that you're going to use some cash flow to help fund renovations, things like that. That can get really tricky if you're bleeding, if you start bleeding money. So I always go into a property now with a lot more contingency capital, just assuming that a lot of things are going to go wrong. That was a big learning lesson on that property. Another big learning lesson was if you're going to take on really major CapEx projects, you need to have somebody on board that's either done that kind of a project before or somebody that can oversee that project a little bit better. So I thought like with my some of my construction experience and my dad's construction company, that I'd be a little bit better equipped. But we went and had to replace all of these second floor balconies because all the second floor, I mean, they were sagging down, the wood was rotted. And that was just a massive undertaking for multifamily property. And we got the job done, but there was a lot of hiccups along the way. And for a newbie, I probably wouldn't recommend a value add where you're ripping out all of the balconies and reinstalling new ones, stuff like that. Try to avoid that stuff on your first one, I would say. And one more little thing that I learned from that one that was huge learning experience is if you're going to buy an old property, make sure you know the life expectancy of the major all major CapEx items, including the HVACs. Boy, we were not expecting to get that many HVACs to start breaking on us in the middle of summer. I mean, I think we replaced like half the HVACs in year one for like $4,200 a pop. That's expensive. So (laughs) (laughs) um, if you're not expecting that, that's a big problem. So you really got to go into your multifamily deal looking at Every component and knowing to the penny how much it could cost to replace. So that's, yeah, I guess those are some good tidbits that I could give off of that one. But obviously, we made out, we're making out well. We bought that for 1.2 million. We're selling for 3.1 million on Friday.
1: So we did all right. There you go. Thanks, Sean. And we'll move on to the last segment of the show, the Giordano round. As you know, this is the multi family buy the slice podcast. Giordano is the number one pizza spot in Chicago. You have these big pieces of deep dish pizza and you get so much meat slice one or two is all you can eat so it's going to be a series of questions ike and i are going to go back and forth each question is meant to pack a punch just like a deep dish slice of pizza and just keep you full on each one so the first one sean you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world you're about to die and you have these last few words that you can scream out and part into the world what would you say invest as much as you can every day that's it it. simple as that ladies and gentlemen all right Sean, so you you've
0: already given us a lot of wisdom, but I'm going to ask you for one more slice. So if there's one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be?
2: Ooh, I would say that man, have extra money. Have contingency capital. When you underwrite and you're going to get into a deal, put a big chunk of extra cash sitting there in the bank account in case something goes wrong because more than likely there's going to be some things that go wrong that you weren't expecting. That's important. Okay. That's it.
1: What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why?
2: Multifamily investors ooh, should know. Internal rate of return is a huge one because that a term gets thrown around a lot. And I think a lot of people get confused by it. And it's an important return metric because it makes it a lot easier to compare different investment vehicles. Right. So I think that, you know, you got to make sure you understand that term. Make sure you understand what recourse is. Or non recourse. That's a big one. That's one of the big advantages of multifamily, right? Is you can get like on our 32, on all our properties we own right now, it's all non recourse on those multifamilies, which means if one of them, if something goes wrong with one of them, worst case scenario, the bank wants to take that property back. They can't come after my personal assets. Now, if you've got a property that does have recourse debt on it, they can come after your personal assets if you're on the loan. What does that mean? They can make you sell your house and all in your car, all that stuff just so you could pay back that debt. So it's huge when something goes wrong to be able to have non-recourse debt. So understand what that means. A third term that's uh, super important. Oh man, this is not even a term, but it's it's important to me. Your net work or your net work is your net worth. I can't tell you how valuable it is to get out there and start hanging around people that are crushing it more than you because you will learn from them and they will inspire you. If you're still hanging out with the same people from high school or whatever, I mean, that's cool if they're your friends, but you got to get out there and mingle with people that are are at the point where you want to be. And over time, I've learned the value in that. So that's, I guess that's not a term, but- I, guess I mean, it's course. another slice of wisdom, which is what yeah. we love here. That's yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right, last question. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Oh man, what a good one.
2: So I'm gonna say two things. I like to look for like high-level podcasts like this one where somebody is like getting in and answering like difficult questions. And I'm just a huge proponent of podcasts because like I'm driving in the car all the time and I'm always learning something. I might hear something about like how the lending environment is changing a little bit for multifamily that I wouldn't have known. Uh, otherwise. And so I can keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on that way. So that's a huge one for me. Um, Other books, one of the books that I love that really like explained a lot of the nuts and bolts of trying to build and start off is the best ever real estate book on syndication. That's one of the ones that comes to mind. I think it's a great one. If you think you want to do multifamily and you want to raise money, man, that's a great one to start. It even at the end of the book has a list of terms that you need to know as a multifamily operator. I made flashcards of those bad boys and learned them. And if you want to get started, you've got to know that stuff. Just go to the same thing. So I love that book. And that's the first one that comes to mind. Do I have one more? You said three? All, you only needed a couple, I think, there. So I think you're Okay, dead. cool. There we go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Sean. And how can multi-family by the slice listeners best get in touch with you?
2: Um, You can reach out to me directly to my email. That's totally cool. It's Sean at factorycapital.com. Oh, man, I can't even by out of the way. But anyways, uh, S-H-A-W-N at P-A-C, the number three, capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L com. You can reach out to me there. Uh you can go to our website, pack 3 capitalcom and send an email there, whatever you want to do. And I'm happy to provide whatever value I can to you guys. Awesome. Well
1: there you have it folks. You got Sean D Martell in the house from the multifamily takeoff from Pack Three Capital. We appreciate you for coming on the show, Sean. And again, thank you man for our listeners out there, please subscribe to the show, leave a five star review and pass it along to someone you think that will benefit from this. I and I appreciate the love and the support we've getting messages and emails and all types of things. It's since crazy started. It's been crazy. We appreciate you all. We love you guys. Have a blessed day.
0: Thank you for listening to the multifamily by the slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics
1: discussed as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.